Um, many of you know, you heard this on the video, we're one of six congregations at New Life Church. But some of you, this is your kind of your first time, this is your only kind of entrance into New Life Church. You haven't known the story. So I just want to tell you just a brief overview of this, okay? Thirteen years ago, we found ourselves in the darkest hour of our life as a church. Not sure how we were going to go forward. Not sure what in the world, if we would still be a church after this. And in that midst of that season, the Lord sent us, Pastor Brady, and I, I have said in, in recent weeks, because I've become more and more convinced of this, I believe Pastor Brady is the best thing that's happened to New Life Church. He truly is. He truly is. He, he is far and away the most generous and gracious leader I've ever been around. He's humble. He's tender. I talk about a leader coming into a situation that, that we were in 13 years ago. And the way that he cared for us, he led us with good conviction. I could tell you this story as the story of numbers. I could tell you about the number that our debt was 12 years ago when, when Brady came. I could tell you about how, despite that, he made some, some amazing strategic decisions to help us focus our efforts, to turn the focus of our church outward into the pain in our own city. And in doing that, actually saw the Lord bless and multiply our efforts so the number of that debt is now more than, uh, less than half of what it was 12 years ago. I can tell you about the numbers of people that have come through the Women's Health Clinic. I can tell you the numbers in terms of the new congregations that have opened through New Life Church. But I could also tell you the story as a story of names. The names of people, friends of many of them, friends of mine, that because of the way he came in as a leader in this time of crisis and shepherded our hearts, was able to restore and bind up the brokenhearted and send us out. I could tell you the names of pastors that have been sent out from New Life Church, not only to plant churches, but also to plant congregations. But maybe the best way to tell the story is to tell you the story through my own eyes. When, I, when Pastor Brady arrived, I, there were wounds I had that I wasn't even aware of. And he was the kind of leader that looked past my outward kind of agitation and deeper into the woundedness, and even deeper than the woundedness to recognize the call and the gifting on my own life. Now listen, there's, we would not be a congregation today if not for his belief in us and belief in this vision. And the truth is, it's possible that I would not be in local church ministry today if not for the way he shepherded my heart and guided me and pointed me in the right direction. So you guys, this is an incredible honor today to be able to introduce him. He has a brand new book that just came out called Remarkable, Living a Faith Worth Talking About. He's going to preach from that this morning. I believe this is a word in season for us. So would you join me and welcome my dear friend and our senior pastor, Brady Boyd. <laughs> Thank you, good boy. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for those kind words, Glenn. I, I know uh, I, that was sweet and special, and most of that was true, and I appreciate all that. You got most of it right. I, I, I love Glenn and Holly, and this is, I don't know if you know this, this is Pastor's Appreciation Month. I'm not supposed to bring that up. You're supposed to know that, by the way. But I'm saying that because I don't know if you realize this. You may realize this. I'm assuming you realize this. But you have a fantastic pastor, leader, Pastor Jason, Pastor Glenn, the whole team here. Fantastic preaching and teaching. And I knew seven years ago when New Life Downtown launched that I, I would bet the house uh, that this will be a flourishing congregation because I believe so much in Glenn and Holly's leadership and the way they care for people. And uh, we're seeing the fruit of that. And by the way, I will stand here soon. 
and announce to you a permanent location for downtown. I really believe that. I'm believing. Do you believe that with me? Okay. 13 of you. That's awesome. That's all I need with about a handful of you. Let me say that one more time. I'm going to stand here very soon and announce to you a permanent location for the downtown congregation. I believe that. Now, you're clapping wildly, but it's also going to require a lot of money. So I'm just asking you right now to uh, set that aside in your budget because it's going to require a lot of money. It's expensive down here. It's expensive everywhere in north, downtown, everywhere. But I believe the Lord's in this. And I was sitting during the worship set while we were singing songs. Here we are in the heart of the city, the very center of our city, lifting up the name of the resurrected king, the resurrected Christ. There's something significant about being in a downtown area, praising and lifting up something that's going to affect everything in the city. So I, just, I believe in the mission of downtown. I believe in Glenn and Holly. I believe in the team here. And I'm grateful to be a part of it. Are you ready today? Ready? All right. It's a joy to be with you. I'm married. Uh, my wife, Pam, we've been married 30 years. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I don't look old enough for that. I appreciate it. I can see the startled looks from your faces because there's no way that guy's been married 30 years. We got married in the seventh grade. It was a scandal, a scandal of junior high. We're from Louisiana, which makes perfect sense. Um, you know, if you're a ninth grader and not married, you're an old maid, you know, so... Um, so uh, we have two kids. Uh, they both moved out of the house and took a husky dog with them to college. So we became empty nesters about two months ago. Let me just say this. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Pam is not with me today. She might have a different viewpoint of that. But for all of you that have small kids and you're not able to sleep late right now, let me just tell you something. I have slept late every morning for like two months in a row with no apologies because I earned the right to sleep late every morning and it's been amazing I'm a different human being and they can come home they just can't stay or right? I'm just telling you it's amazing all right <laughs> I could go on and on about that but I won't turn in your Bible to Matthew 28 I am going to talk today out of the book I just wrote and you know the difference between writing a sermon and writing a book is that a sermon certainly comes out of a lifetime of experiences but typically we you know we spend 10 to 20 hours a week thinking and studying and preparing a sermon what I'm going to preach to you today took me 18 months to get out of me, to digest, to pray over, and to write. And I do think that the book I wrote is, a, is a, 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 a prophetic word to our church. I think it's a call for us to live in a different way in a world that's changing really radically around us right now. And I want to read to you out of Matthew 28 the very last thing that Jesus told us to do. And so if you're wondering what your purpose is, if you're wondering what your mission is, if you've ever considered what is it that my assignment on the planet is, why do I exist, what is it that I'm supposed to be about, I'm going to read it to you today. And by the way, this has not changed for 2,000 years. The assignment has been the same for the church for 2,000 years. Now, our obedience toward that assignment has drifted and changed over time, but the assignment and the mission has not changed. And Jesus looked at his disciples. Now, this is post-resurrection. So he has gone to the cross. He was in a borrowed tomb. He has been resurrected. He is now spending time with his trusted disciples before his ascension into heaven outside the gates of Jerusalem. But before he does that, he tells them Matthew 28. Now, a recent study that just came out said that ha half of American churchgoers, think about this, 50% of American churchgoers could not tell us what the Great Commission is. They've never heard of it. They don't know what it is. They can't repeat back what the Great Commission is. 
So at New Life Church, we're going to solve that problem. We're going to talk about this ad nauseum, okay? I want you to, even downtown, to bring this up on the screen and to remind yourself periodically of what the great assignment is, the great commission. So let's read it out loud together. Is that okay? Matthew 28. So we are going to have a New Testament reading today. This is it, all right? Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. It says, then, say it out loud with me. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now there's three things here. It says go, baptize, and teach. Go. In other words, get out, go, take the good news to wherever the Lord has sent you, go, baptize. There's a physical act of baptism, which will happen here in, what, next week, the week after? Next week, right? Next Sunday, you're going to have the opportunity to experience the physical act of baptism. By the way, in that passage, who's doing the baptizing? Other disciples, right? Disciples baptizing disciples. This is not just a priestly function or a pastoral function. We're all supposed to go... We're all supposed to baptize, and we're all supposed to teach. The problem is now the church is going through a cataclysmic shift in America right now. If you're paying attention to what's happening in cultural trends, you realize that the American church is being pushed to the margins of the culture right now. And that really upsets a lot of people, because most of us have grown up in a a culture where the church was respected, or revered, at least it, it had a, a good place in the, in the common dialogue of the culture. The church has always been highly regarded in American culture, but now more and more we're being disregarded and pushed to the margins. And I want to say something, and I want you to remember this, okay, because some of you are very troubled by this. But in actuality, for the last 2,000 years, the church has actually been at its purest and most powerful when it gets pushed to the margins of the culture. Always. The church actually gets purified. The the church actually becomes more powerful when it gets relegated to the margins. You know why? Because that's where people need to hear the good news. Sometimes the centers of cultural power only want to keep their cultural power, but when the gospel goes out to the margins, it actually becomes good news to people who want to hear good news. So don't be alarmed, my dear brothers and sisters, when the church gets pushed from its centers of cultural power because actually I think we're going through a spiritual reformation right now that's going to be for our good and not for our harm. Amen. Amen. I, uh, I, when I was uh, right out of college, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but I, when I came out of college, I have a degree in journalism and a minor in English literature, which has really helped me well as a pastor. So... <laughs> But when I came out of college, I actually wanted to be a broadcaster. I actually told the Lord, I came to Christ during my junior year of college, and I made a deal with God. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I made a deal with God. I said, God, I will serve you like my hair is on fire. I will charge hell with a water pistol. Just do not make me become a pastor. And so in order to make that happen, I did everything but studied for the pastoral leadership. I was determined not to pastor a small country church and live in a bad parsonage. And my first pastoral assignment was a small country church where I actually had a really crummy parsonage. So don't ever make deals with the Lord. All right, so 
Back to that. So my first job out of college was with KWKH Radio, 11.30 a.m. in Shreveport, Louisiana. It's a very iconic radio station. It was where, if, you, if you're like over 70 years old, you will know of the Louisiana Hayride where Elvis used to play live. Everybody that was anybody would come to the Louisiana Hayride in Shreveport, and this radio station would broadcast it to the whole nation. It was 50,000 clear channel station, which meant that during the day, that its signal was pr primarily concentrated right there in North Louisiana, that area. But at night, when it got dark, the signal went to 50,000 clear channel watts, and people from Minnesota to the Gulf Coast, all the way to sometimes to Nevada, Missouri, the, almost the entire center part of the country could hear KWKH radio. So my first assignment out of college, I was the news, sports, and weather guy from 4 p.m. till midnight. So I always, always realized that from around 4 p.m. until dark, I had a small audience that was listening to me. But when it got dark, when everything became dark, the signal boosted up to 50,000 watts. And people from all over the country, I had relatives all throughout the central part of the United States that would, sit, would call me and say, Brady, 9 o'clock last night, I could hear you loud and clear with the weather, news, and sports. People from all over the nation could hear me only, though, when it got dark. And I wonder if the Lord right now is wondering how his church is going to respond to when it gets dark. I actually believe that the darkness that you may be feeling or sensing in your heart is actually an awakening for the church. To, it is now time for us to broadcast more clearly, more powerfully the message of Jesus. Sometimes we can get fat and lazy when everything has been handed to us. When we are the center of cultural power, oftentimes we can get complacent. But when the darkness begins to close in, I believe the Lord is about to awaken us to a new awareness of the gospel, and we're about to carry the good news loud and clear into a very dark world. Amen? Did somebody say amen to that? So here's the problem. This is what I write about in the book, that there's actually three temptations that the church tends to fall into, okay? The first temptation, when they feel like the darkness is closing in, when you're no longer being respected, when uh, maybe traditional values are being pushed to the side, whatever language you want to use, the first response that the church has had for a couple of thousand years is to instigate, to, to actually argue, to, to yell at the darkness, to, to become angry and agitated. I don't know about you, but I don't know of a single person who is a follower of Christ today that came to know Christ because someone yelled at them. I, I bet there's not a single person sitting in this room that is a fully devoted follower of Jesus because you lost an argument. I mean, I'm just telling you, yelling at the darkness will not push back the darkness. You know what happens, in fact, the Bible says that when you give out anger, you actually are going to receive anger. So I'm going to show you this morning in the Sermon on the Mount, there are three responses that Jesus actually gives us that are completely opposite than the responses that we're giving right now to the culture. So the first temptation is to instigate, to, be, to yell at the darkness. But let me read to you what Jesus said about this. Matthew 5, verses 7, 8, 9, it says, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
Blessed are the angry, for they're going to get anger. Blessed are the merciful, because they're going to receive back mercy. And then Jesus doubles down. Listen to this. And blessed are the pure in heart, who have kept their hearts pure, and not allowed their hearts to be corrupted with the disease of, of vitriol and anger and hate. And, the, and it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are making peace, for they'll be called sons of God. Listen, church, right now is our moment when things around us don't always... It's not Mayberry. I said this, by the way, last week. I said, it's not Mayberry. And I had one of my 30-something-year-old staff go, what's Mayberry? <laughs> I just feel like we've lost so much in the culture. <laughs> when I cannot use a Mayberry reference in half the church, not know what I'm talking about, Okay. If you've not watched the Andy Griffith Show, go home today. Do not turn the, any ball game on, all right? Watch one episode. It'll totally explain a lot what I'm saying to you, okay? But th listen, blessed are the peacemakers. And this is not, this is not what we want to do. It is what, what's built inside of us is to be angry back at people. When actually Jesus said, let me give you something radical and revolutionary to consider. When people are yelling and are agitated toward your belief system, instead of responding back with anger and being instigators, instead of yelling back at them, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who have a pure heart, who can look them, look them right back in the eye and have conversations that lead to healing instead of to anger. That's the first temptation. And by the way, most of us are giving in to that temptation. Here's the second one, though, is to integrate. Is just to go along to get along. The problem with people who integrate, who, who tend to compromise their convictions, I was, I was thinking about this last night again because I, I, I have some friends that are kind of buying into this, that they, they feel like, well, Pastor Brady, I can't change, or they don't call me Pastor Brady, they're, my, you know, they're close friends. They say, Brady, we can't change the culture, so, and I don't want to fight with anybody, so I'm just, going to, I'm just going to keep my convictions to myself. I'm not going to share anything that God's really done in my heart. But over time, here's the problem with that. Over time, when you don't believe that God's done anything radical in your life, you will stop believing that God can do anything radical in anyone else's life. You see, God has done such a miracle in my heart. I don't know how many of you were deep in the woods lost when Christ found you, but I was lost when Jesus found me. I was living in absolute darkness when the Lord found me. I cannot keep this to myself. I haven't gotten over being born again yet. Some of you may have gotten over it. I'm just telling you, it's the greatest miracle that ever happened in my life. It radically changed my destiny. It changed everything about me. And because of that, I just can't keep the good news to myself. And, and, and so and listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 5, verse 13. Skip down, four more verses, Matthew 13, 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, in other words, if the salt has lost its convictions. So it's one thing to yell at people, it's another thing altogether to lose your convictions. So by not yelling does not mean that I've lost my convictions. I just choose to share my convictions in a way that's radically different than the rest of the world. But it doesn't mean that I have lost my convictions as a Christ follower. In fact, I am more clear about my convictions now than ever. And we should be. The world needs us to be clear about our convictions. The world needs us to follow Jesus. The world's waiting on the church to be the church. 
Actually, the world needs the church to be the church. The, ch- the world needs people who call upon the name of the Lord to follow Christ. So, but how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by man. Here's the problem with integrating your life into the culture. At some point, the culture will swallow you up and sweep you away. That's why the salt can never lose its saltiness. That's why our convictions matter, right? Here's the third one, though. Here's the third temptation, and this is the easier one, in my opinion, is just simply to isolate ourselves. Just simply to create little holy huddles around town. All those mean people out there, we're going to shut them out. We're going to gather around. We're going to close our doors to the world. We're going to sing the songs that we like, listen to the sermons that we, that we agree with. We're going to put people around us that say exactly what we believe. We're going to put people around us who believe like we believe, who vote like we vote, who live in the same, who have the same color skin as me. We're going to make sure that we isolate ourselves in these holy huddles so therefore there's no possibility of being hurt or distracted. There's a huge problem with that. Let me show you this. Skip down to verse 14 because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount addresses this third conviction. You are the light of the world. Jesus said, not only are you salt, but you're light. Now listen to what he says. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Some of you are hiding in plain sight, and the world needs you to be a light. And yet it's easier. I I understand this. I I remember the the temptation that Pam and I had when our kids were little especially. No, no, they're 19 and 21 now. But when they were little, and we felt like they were really vulnerable... There was such a temptation for us to just put our little, it was like a hen gathering her chicks under her wings and making sure that nobody could, our kids would never be confronted with the evils of the world. The problem with that now is they're out in the world. I just sent them out two months ago. Go, send them out, go. And I'm so grateful now that I did not hide my kids from the reality of the world. Now, I protected my kids, but I did not shelter them. And there's a huge difference, moms. There's a lot of young couples in this room. And listen to your 52-year-old pastor who's now got kids out in the world. You should protect your children. Just don't shelter them. Let them be exposed to the things of the world while you're standing there next to them. Be their guide. Be their overseer. Be their parent. Make sure you're connected to everything they're connected to. There should be no secrets in, their, in your house with your teenage kids because one day they're going to go out into the world and they're going to come face to face with the realities of the world. And if you have nurtured them well and cared for them well and walked with them well, you don't have to be afraid about them going out into the world as witnesses. And listen to this. It says, you, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl and say, put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the mission that we're on right now. To be salt, to be light, to go, to make disciples, to teach. This is the assignment of the church. Let me tell you what I believe about the Great Commission. I believe that really the reason that we're not fulfilling the Great Commission is because we have never really bought into the Great Commandment. And before Jesus gave us the Great Commission, He actually gave us the Great Commandment. Before we can ever fulfill the Great Commission, we actually must live out the Great Commandment. 
And if you think half of the people in the church don't know what the Great Commission is, I bet the other half doesn't know what the Great Commandment is. So I'm going to read to you the Great Commandment that came before the Great Commission. Before Jesus ever sent his disciples out into the world to baptize them, to teach them to go, he actually taught them to love their neighbor. Let me read this to you. Okay, This is out of Mark chapter 12, he says, and this is called the Great Commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. Go to church and do nothing else. That's not what it says, by the way. I just want to make sure you listen, okay? Love the Lord your God. Now listen to what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God, and he leaves nothing to chance here. In other words, fully on, devoted, giving up all to follow me, taking up your cross language here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and if, and if that fails, all your strength. And then the second one is this, and this is the really hard part, by the way. The first part sounds so charming. Love God, who's already called you his son and daughter. He's a good, good father. I mean, we, we love the first three verses right, of, of, the, of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, lie down in green pastures, beside still waters. He restores my soul. But then the problem is verse 4. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and we are confronted with evil. Then you see how David makes that shift in the psalm? The same way Jesus makes that shift in the great commandment. Love God who already loves you. Fall in love with a God who's madly in love with you. The end. It's actually not the end. It's actually the beginning. Because Jesus then completes the statement with this. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as much as you love your Instagram self. You know, when I read this recently, I started looking at my Instagram post because I thought, okay, if every Instagram post has my photo in it, maybe you should do that this afternoon. <laughs> I'm just going to give you an assignment. Go look at your Instagram post. If everything is you in the post, maybe you need to put your neighbor's photo in there every once in a while. <laughs> or at least their house or something. Love your neighbor as much as you are consumed with yourself, is what Jesus is saying. As much as you're obsessed with how awesome you are. And you are awesome, by the way. But love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And it says, there is no commandment greater than these. That's it. Love God with everything. And in the same, with the same passion and devotion that you love God, turn that love that God's already given you and then shower it upon the people that God's put you near to. Nearby at work, nearby in your neighborhood, nearby at your school, wherever God, whatever realm of influence you have, the same love you have received, now give it away with the same lavish love that you've received, give it away. That's the assignment that God's given us. So I want to tell you a story this morning about a young woman, and I'm gonna ha- I'm, I'm, I want to tell you this, that I'm changing her name and some of the de- geographic details of the story because she's still in really big danger today, okay? So I'm having to change the details of this story. But everything else that I'm going to tell you besides her name and some of the geographical location, everything else is true, okay? This story is true. So this, this, there's a woman about three years ago, two and a half years ago. She was pregnant. And she was living with her boyfriend in the northeast, northwest part of our country. And 
when she became pregnant, her boyfriend became afraid that she was going to leave him and take with her the baby that she was carrying. And so he actually grabbed her one day, shoved her into a closet, and built really, literally like a, a fortress around her in this closet so that she could not get out. And every day when he went to work, he would grab her, put her in the closet, and lock it up so tightly, put, literally like a dog would put food and water inside the closet with her. And eight, nine, ten hours later, he would come back home from work, let her out, and watch her like a hawk, would not let her out of his sight. He was abusing her physically, emotionally. It was, it was the, it's the most awful story, and I'm actually watering down the details today because the story is horrific of how he treated her. And, and his treatment toward her became more and more violent. The more pregnant she became, the more violent he became. And she realized, if I don't get out of this closet, if I don't get out of this closet, he's going to kill me and the baby I'm carrying. And so one day she was able to get a floorboard pried loose from the, from the floor, and she used that to wedge her way out of the door. And when she finally broke through the door, he was gone, and she was able to gather a little bit of money that was laying around, a set of car keys, there was a car in the driveway that did not belong to her. She jumped into the car with as much stuff as she could put under, because she didn't know when he was going to come back. She grabbed as much stuff as she could, and she took off. And when she got out on the highway, the Lord spoke to her. She said, now, Brady, I did not know Christ. I had no idea about God. I was totally, I was distraught. I was traumatized. I was beaten and bruised. I didn't know God. She said, but something spoke loudly to me, go to Colorado Springs. She had never been here. This is about a thousand-mile trip she's on with very little money and a car that didn't belong to her. She's in a stolen car with a little bit of money. She said, I drove as far as I could. When I ran out of gas, I pulled into a gas station. She said, the first gas station I pulled into, this is the way she described it. She said, Brady, I did not have much money. And this woman walked over to me. She said, what she said was a middle-aged woman walked over to me and said, Honey, are you okay? And she said, Brady, this woman had an angelic look about her face. He said, Brady, I didn't know God. I didn't believe in any of that. But I, this woman walked up to me and there was something different about her. And she said, Honey, are you okay? And she's visibly pregnant. She's visibly distraught. She's tired and exhausted. And so she said, this woman walks up to her and says, Can I fill up your gas tank? And not only did she fill up her gas tank, she went inside the convenience store and got her a sandwich stuff and food and put it into her car and said, Honey, I don't know where you're going, but please get there safely and take good care of that baby that's inside of you. And she said, That got me to the next gas station. Now, there are three or four stories. She said, Every time I would stop for gas, God would have somebody at the gas station who was willing to fill up my gas tank. She said, Brady, it was an amazing thing. Everywhere I stopped, it was like this divine encounter that I would have. And she said, I found myself in Colorado Springs a few days later with just enough money. Think about this. And it's not far from here. I know where this place is. She said, I had just enough money to rent a storage shed. And she told the owner of the storage unit that she was renting the storage unit to park her car, but actually she slept in her car. And she said, that's all I could afford was a storage unit. So I would pull my car into the storage unit, pull down the thing and sleep inside my car at night and try to stay warm. She said, 
So the next day, after their first night at the storage unit, she found a, a big dumpster that was nearby where people who were using the storage unit would just throw their old furniture away. So she would get all the old furniture out of the dumpster. She took it into her storage unit, and she started restoring old pieces of furniture. She had a laptop. She used the Wi-Fi from the storage unit to go on and put it online, and she started selling refurbished furniture online, enough to pay her monthly uh, rent on the storage unit and buy enough food to stay alive. Well, as you know, it came time for the baby to come. And she was still living in a storage unit, living inside her car. Which, let me just pause here and tell you something. Tonight, there will be about 800 families in El Paso County that are living the story I'm telling you about today. Tonight, in El Paso County. And that's probably a conservative number. 2,500 children will sleep in their cars tonight with their, with their parents. Tonight, in El Paso County, not New York City, not L.A., here in our county, 800 families. So she said, the baby's here. She's got to deliver this child. So the only place she can go to get care is in the emergency room. She shows up at a local hospital. It's actually right down the street, Penrose, Maine. She shows up there, ready to give birth, emergency room. She's sobbing as she walks in, sobbing, because she knows that when she tells them that she's living in a storage unit, that she's basically homeless, that they're going to take the baby from her. She's hysterical, sobbing. She's in labor pains. I mean, this is, a, this is the most critical moment of this woman's life. And she says a nurse walked into the delivery room and t held her hand and said, tell me where you're living. And she, out of just out of uncontrollable sobs, she finally confessed, I'm living in a storage unit around the corner. And this nurse said, I have really good news for you. I know of a place called Mary's Home, and I think they may have a room open. And that day, we had one room open at Mary's Home. She called, and this nurse, I don't know who she is. I've never met this nurse. I don't know if she's a new lifer or not. But this nurse called Mary's Home, and she said, actually, we have a room open right now, and we're going to save it for her. She gave birth to the baby. In fact, this was the first baby that ever moved in to Mary's Home is with this woman. And I'm going to call her name. Her, this is not her real name. But Linda and her baby moved in four days later to Mary's home. A year and a half after she moved into Mary's home, she graduated. And she told this story at the Mary's home graduation. I heard it for the first time at the graduation ceremony that I was a part of. And she said, she said, I have a business. Uh, I, I, will, I will take care of this child. Now, a year later, which was about six months ago, she called and said she's moved to another state to get away from this violent boyfriend. It's another state. And she said, last year, I made $65,000 profit on my business. I don't take any government help. And she said, Brady, I've got to pay taxes this year. <laughs> I said, you'll get over the excitement of that real quick, I promise you. <laughs> but for her, she's thriving. Now, I want to tell you something. Linda's story would not be possible if it not for a group of people who didn't believe in the Great Commission. What happens if we had just become integrators? Well, she, she brought all this on herself. She's a product of the system. What if somebody just yelled at her at the grocery, at the, at the gas station? What if somebody had integrated so much into the culture that they had lost their sensitivity to the brokenness of the world around them? What if they had become so part of the broken culture that they could not see God's redemptive work at work anywhere around them? Or what happened if they just decided to isolate themselves and turn their face away from the pain that they saw at the gas tank? What if they just said, no, that's her problem. I'm in my holy huddle. I can't help her. I'm gonna, it's going to cost me too much to get involved. Instead, somebody out there, 
and only heaven will know the names of these people. Somebody put their hands on this girl and helped her get gas. Somebody gave her food. And a lot of you have helped make, make Mary's home possible. And because of that, the Great Commission got lived out in our city. And a woman who was trapped in a closet with no future is now thriving with her own business. That, my friends, is the story of the gospel. And that's why we're called to live remarkable lives now more than ever. Amen. I want to pray for you this morning. I know I'm gone a little long. I just want to tell you that story, and I want to help you understand that you're on a mission. Every person sitting in this room this morning has an assignment, and not one of us gets off the hook. All of us have this assignment on our lives. Go into the world. Make disciples. Baptize them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the assignment this morning. That's the remarkable lives that we're called to live. Can I pray for you this morning? Father in heaven, we come before you today and we ask that you would do something deep and holy in all of our hearts. Father, I pray today you would fill us continually with your Holy Spirit, that you would overshadow us with your grace, that you would mark us as a people on mission, that you would mark us as people on an assignment, Father, would your kingdom come and your will be done in Colorado Springs as it is in heaven? And would you use us as your remarkable people to carry good news to those who are eagerly awaiting hope and good news today? And Father, we call on the name of the Lord. And you said all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Father, would you come now and save us so that others could be saved? And we ask it now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you today. Thank Pastor Amen. Brady for that word.